0: podcast number 762 for the 24th of September 2021. This week, online searching can be more productive with the right search engine for the current task, and some query options can narrow the search to return more accurate results. In short circuits, scammers demanding payment like to use email messages that they claim have come from your computer. They are lying, of course. Let's see how. Microsoft Word comes with a lot of built-in annoyances. Most of them are easy to fix, but one requires a lot more effort than it should. In spare parts, only on the website, Microsoft has a function that tries to prevent users from installing unwanted apps. Now it's turned on by default. Command line functions may seem like remnants of the ancient past, but several are handy, and even those who have never used a command line can benefit from some of them. And 20 years ago, I was ecstatic when thinking about replacing an old-style CRT monitor with a huge 18-inch flat panel monitor. A lot of people, maybe even most people, use a search engine several times a day. Google is the search engine that has the highest usage. That doesn't mean it's always the right search engine to use, though. DuckDuckGo has been growing, still small, though, and other search engines exist that might sometimes be better choices. Google has about 70% of the search engine market worldwide, obviously more than all of the other search engines combined, and there's no question that it works well sometimes for users and always for Alphabet, the company that owns Google. The search engine continuously scours the internet for information, analyzes it, and disgorges huge amounts of information when people ask for it. But it also collects a lot of information about users, and some people don't like that. DuckDuckGo is all about privacy. Privacy. The search results are sometimes on par with Google, and I use it as my default search engine. When DuckDuckGo doesn't return enough good information, and frequently when I'm searching for images, I go back to Google. DuckDuckGo doesn't store information about you, and the ads it serves are clearly labeled. Users can even turn off ads if they want to. I leave them on because when I'm looking for a product or a service, they can be useful. By the way, you'll find links to all of the search engines I mentioned on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Start page is similar to DuckDuckGo in that it promises not to collect, store, or share any information about you or your searches. Their tagline is the world's most private search engine. The landing page is about as plain as it can be, just a place to type a search term. Results include some clearly labeled ads, and the result page looks a lot like what users see in Google when using the incognito mode. Microsoft launched the Bing search engine more than a dozen years ago. Bing Places is a portal for local businesses, similar to Google's My Business services. Microsoft frequently and, annoyingly, attempts to convince users of Windows to choose Microsoft's browser Edge as their default browser, and to specify Bing as their default search engine. Yahoo still exists. It predated even AltaVista. But it followed primitive search functions such as Archie, Veronica, Jughead, and the World Wide Web Virtual Library. The name is short for Yet Another Hierarchical Organized Oracle. Yahoo was first with a lot of things, but its email service was eclipsed by Gmail, Quora beat out Yahoo Answers, and Yahoo Flickr was smashed by Instagram. It's still a competent search engine, though, and its main page contains a lot of up-to-date news items. Ask, which was previously called Ask Jeeves, is about 1 100th the size of Google, and yet it fills a niche by specifically requesting a question. Why is the sky blue, for example, instead of a search term? The landing page also has a reasonable collection of news stories. AOL has a market share that's as close to zero as it can be without actually being zero, It's a place to try if no other search engine has been able to locate what you're looking for, but if that's the case, AOL probably won't find it either. Some search engines are primarily aimed at China, Russia, South Korea, the Czech Republic, and other areas. Beidou has a large user base, but most of the users are in China, and anyone who is unable to read Chinese will find it impossible to use. Yandex is popular in Russia and surrounding nations, but it is available in English. There's a story behind the Yandex name, too. It's short for Yet Another Indexer. Clever, huh? Naver is used primarily in South Korea, where it has about three-quarters of the search engine market. And Cesnam is directed at the Czech Republic. But even there, nearly 85% of the users prefer Google. Check out the links on the TechPyter Worldwide website. There are other search engines, too, some that are limited geographically, some that specialize in particular kinds of information. But the primary choices for a lot of people will be Google, Bing, and DuckDuckGo. Google offers several ways to modify searches, and some of the Google modifications work with other search engines. DuckDuckGo honors a few of Google's search tricks, so let's talk about some of Google's options, and also check to see if the modifications work with DuckDuckGo. A lot of people know that placing a search term in quotation marks will limit Google's returns to just articles that contain that exact term. That's probably Google's best-known search modifier. So if I search for Bengal Tigers in quotation marks, Google will limit its suggestions to web pages that contain the term Bengal Tigers. It will omit links to pages about Siberian Tigers or about the Cincinnati Bengals football team. This is a really handy trick that homes in on what you're looking for without including a lot of extraneous links. Unfortunately, this one does not work with DuckDuckGo. Adding a tilde in front of a search term will cause Google to include synonyms in the search returns. A search for egg tilde classifying will show articles about eggs being classified, egg sizing, egg grades, egg types, machines that grade eggs, and documents about egg grading procedures. This modification works reasonably well on DuckDuckGo. Using site in front of a domain name will limit Google's search to just the domain you specify. So if you'd like to see articles that I've written about raw formats for digital images, raw format in quotation marks followed by site colon techbiter.com will reveal more than a dozen TechBiter pages and about the same number of images. In this example, two Google tricks are being combined, limiting the search with quotation marks around raw format, and limiting the search area to just the TechBiter Worldwide website. This doesn't work perfectly with DuckDuckGo because the search engine doesn't support the use of quotation marks. You can place a minus sign, or a dash, in front of a search term. That ensures that Google will eliminate pages that contain the term you don't want. So searching for Blinn minus college will return pages about me and other people named Blinn, but you won't see any references to Blinn College, which besides being located in Brenham, Texas, is not connected to me in any way. That trick fails entirely with DuckDuckGo. Using file type will force Google to return pages that contain references to a particular file type. So if you're looking for a user manual for a Lenovo P50 computer, putting ThinkPad P50 manual in quotation marks and following that with file type colon PDF will do the job. And that's another case where two tricks are combined, quotation marks and the file type option. Again, results inaccurate for DuckDuckGo. If you place an OR, or a vertical bar between terms, that will limit Google's selections to pages that contain one word or the other. So a search for cats, vertical bar chimpanzees, or cats or chimpanzees, will return pages with articles about cats, articles about chimpanzees, and articles about cats and chimpanzees. This is what's called a Boolean OR condition. It shouldn't be confused with the Boolean AND condition. The AND condition, by the way, is Google's default, so you can do a search for cats and chimpanzees, or just cats chimpanzees, and that will return pages where both cats and chimpanzees are mentioned. DuckDuckGo doesn't support Boolean operators. Use location to limit the search to specific cities, states, or countries. A search for Arnold Schwarzenegger in quotation marks followed by location colon Columbus will show results such as that for the statue of Schwarzenegger in Columbus and the Arnold Classic, which is also held in Columbus. This is another option that won't work with DuckDuckGo. You can search for a sequence of numbers with two dots. This can be helpful if you're looking for a range of ages, prices, temperatures, or years. Searching for Ohio Population 2015 dot dot 2021 will list pages that deal with the numbers of people who live in Ohio and include the numbers between 2015 and 2021 inclusive. Also, if you place a dollar sign in front of a number, the search will be limited to prices. Prices. Searching for digital camera, dollar sign 800, dot dot, dollar sign 900 will list articles that mention digital cameras and also include a dollar value between $800 and $900. Don't try that one with DuckDuckGo either. Use related in front of a domain name to return sites that have some relationship to the domain you already know. So searching for related colon would list sites where TechBiter is mentioned. And that one doesn't work on DuckDuckGo either. When you're seeking older information that might have been removed, Cache will be your friend to search Google's stored data. So Cache colon might reveal some old pages from the site but not if you're using DuckDuckGo. You can search social media by using the at sign, searching for at sign Facebook George Custer, or at sign Twitter George Custer will list pages from Facebook or Twitter where George Custer has been mentioned. So when you're looking for information, keep in mind that there are search engines other than Google. And when you're using Google, try some of the tricks to energize your searches and And so does the cat. In short circuits, significant numbers of people have been separated from $1,000 or more when they fell for what should have been a laughable scam crooks claim to have taken over your computer and for proof they send you an email from your own computer or so they say it's a fraud of course the message asks have you recently noticed that i have emailed you from your account well i have noticed that the from and reply to addresses are both mine but i also know that it's easy to fake that information The Simple Mail Transport Protocol, or SMTP, dates to near the beginning of ARPANET. That's the system that eventually led to the Internet. Because ARPANET connected university research scientists and military operations in a closed system, fraud wasn't a concern. Today, fraud is a concern, but SMTP has only minimal security functions. Because much of the header information can be modified by the sender, it's important to look for one bit of information that is virtually impossible to change, the sending server's IP address. Every email program, every email program, makes it possible to view the routing headers. Some do make it a little harder than the others. And yes, I'm looking at you, Outlook. So what you want to find is the first IP address. It will be the one directly above the message ID line. You'll see a copy of a message on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It was transmitted from IP address 91.106.58.222, which I know is not the IP address of my email server. The research could stop right there. I've already determined that this has not come from my email address. But of course I was curious. When I looked up the IP address, I found that it's registered to an internet service provider in Iraq. That doesn't mean the crook is in Iraq, only that the crook has gained access to an account on a server in Iraq. The scammer could be in Russia, China, North Korea, or Texas. However, the sender's timestamp is listed as two hours ahead of GMT, That would place the sender in France, Hungary, Spain, Germany, Italy, Denmark, Switzerland, Libya, Sudan, Serbia, South Africa, Austria, Norway, or one of several other countries. You'll see the full text of the scammers' message on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and I have a few thoughts on it. First of all, the message is written in reasonably good English. Not all of these scammers are stupid. In fact, a lot of them are pretty smart. But in supposedly explaining how the scammer did this, he says, This simply means I can see you at any time I wish on your screen by simply turning on your camera and microphone. Well, good luck with turning on the camera and microphone on my computer. The computer does have a microphone, but the camera is a standalone device. It is connected to the computer only when I need to use it. So supposedly this scammer has a video of me, and the message says, with just a single click of my mouse, this video can be sent to all your social networks and email contacts. I can also share access to all of your email correspondence and messages that you use. Well, yes, if you have a video, which you cannot possibly have, and you had full access to my computer, which you clearly do not have, You could send the videos to all of my email contacts, but you won't because you can't. A bit later, the message says, once you open this email, I will receive a notification and my timer will start ticking. Well, the email contained no tracking pixel, so the scammer will not receive notification that I opened the message and no timer will start ticking. The scammer says any attempt to file a complaint will not result in anything since this email cannot be traced back, same as my Bitcoin ID. Well, that's true. You are an anonymous fool. And finally, if by chance I find out that you have shared this message with anybody else, I will broadcast your video as mentioned above. Well, sorry, buddy. I am sharing your message with the world and you can't do a damn thing about it. So if you receive a message like that, Just ignore it. Over the years, Microsoft has built a lot of annoyances into Word. It's not all Microsoft's fault, because users ask for features that no word processor should have, and Microsoft then adds them, because customers want them. Take Web Layout View. Nobody should be using Word to design websites, yet some people apparently misuse Word for that task, just as some folks misuse Word to create brochures and books. There are purpose-built applications for those jobs, but okay, Microsoft has made it possible for Word to be used to create a web page, but why does that have to be the default view when users create new documents? It's a word processor and word processors were once intended to create letters or other documents on standard-size paper. I suspect that this is the task most people still use Word for, and yet when users create a new document, they get the web layout view, with no headers, no footers, no margins. To get those features, the user must open the View tab and then click the Print Layout button. This should be a really easy fix, right? just open one of Word's many configuration panels and choose the default view. But the problem with that is that no such configuration setting exists. Instead, the user must write a macro and install that macro in the normal template. Never mind that the macro is dead simple to write and that inserting it into a template takes only a few seconds. What's important here is that most Word users don't write macros and therefore few of them understand what Visual Basic for Applications is or how to put the macro in the normal template. An automobile designed this way would have reverse as the default gear, and shifting into forward would require adjusting something under the hood. So if this Word feature annoys you, here's how to fix it. Open or create a new Word document and select the Developer tab. The Developer tab is activated now by default. If you don't see it, though, check out an article by Microsoft that I have a link to on the TechPyter Worldwide website, and that will explain how you can see the Developer tab. With the Developer tab open, click the Macros button. This will open a Macros tab. Type AutoOpen in the Macro Name field. It has to be spelled exactly like this, Auto with a capital A, Open with a capital O, all run together, no space. Then type a description in the description field. It can be anything you want. And if you'd like, include profanity about why Microsoft makes you do this to make such a simple change. I just wrote fix view. Then click the create button. That will open a nearly full screen dialogue. The macro name auto open followed by open and close parenthesis will already be there as will two additional lines that include the name and your description. You'll also see at the bottom, End Sub. Then you need to insert one line of code above End Sub. That line of code you can copy from the TechBiter Worldwide website is window.view.type equals WD Print View. Click the X in the upper right corner to close the macro dialog. Now, when you create a new document, it will always display the Print Layout View. Given the amount of time it takes to switch views, just a second or so, you might consider creating a macro to fix that problem to be silly. Well, maybe so. But without this macro, I would be mildly annoyed every time I created a new document. Eliminating that bit of annoyance was worth the effort for me. You won't need a macro to read spare parts. Just direct your browser to the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, you'll find these articles. Microsoft has a function that tries to prevent users from installing unwanted apps. Now it's turned on by default. Command line functions may seem like remnants of the ancient past. Several of them are handy though, and even those who have never used a command line can benefit from them. And 20 years ago, I was ecstatic when thinking about replacing an old-style CRT monitor with what I thought at the time was a huge